Father, we open your word today. And as we do, we open our eyes and our ears to see and to hear, to receive from you answers. We thank you, Lord, for doing something in us today that, that changes and marks our lives forever. Lord, we're so thankful and excited about the days that are in front of us, this time that we've set aside in our conference to, to gather together and hear from you, not to hear from a man, not to hear from anybody, but you and your word through your Holy Spirit. So we ask right now, Lord, that what we dig in today would be preparation for that. It would get us ready. Thank you for the healing power that's at work in our lives and that's at work in this church today. We give you all the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Colossians chapter 2. This has to do with what we just heard. Colossians chapter 2. Let me read a few verses to you again. Verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware, watch out, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Verse 10, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Say it out loud. I am complete in him. You are just as complete as Jesus. That's why he put these two things together. In Jesus dwells all the Godhead bodily. There's nothing in God that's left out of Jesus. And you, if you're in him, are just as complete as he is. Glory to God. You're not just like what Brother Keith said, you know, this, this, this common conception that people have and talk and preach that we're all just broken. Well, if you're broken, then you're not complete. If you're broken and you're in pieces, you are incomplete. See, there's so much tradition and religion and stuff that people just make up. And you, you can get a whole room full of people to go, oh yeah, that's mm -hmm, good. Amen. But what's the Bible say about it? Come on. You got to give me the word on this. I got to have the word. I'm not looking for somebody's opinion. I'm not looking for somebody's tradition or what everybody else seems to agree on. I want to know what the Bible says. And if the Bible says I'm complete in him, then that means I'm not broken into a million pieces. I'm complete in him. You are complete in him. Now, as we've talked about this over the last eight or nine weeks now, what we're beginning to discover is that this has to do with our identity. Somebody say identity. And there is a crisis on right now in this world, and it is an identity crisis. People don't know who they are. Many people don't know what they are. Many people are asking, wondering, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? And it sounds like a really deep philosophical question, but I'm here to tell you this morning, it's a waste of time. Quit asking, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? And start finding out who you are in him. Who are you in Christ? Who are you in Jesus? Who is Jesus in you? That is a much more worthwhile question than who am I? Who am I? Who cares who you are? Who cares who I am? And yet people are so wrapped up in identity and identifying with all these different things. People identify and get their identity from the family they were born in or their identity comes from the nationality that they were born into or their identity comes from their education or from the money that they have or from the car that they drive or the clothes that they wear. A lot of people now find their identity their entire lives wrapped up in the political party they support. And for many people, and sadly many Christians, all those identities come before the identity in Christ. For many people, they are an American Christian. Many people are a Republican Christian. Well, what's wrong with that? That's not our identity. Your identity is not a Republican or a Democrat who is a Christian. 
Your identity is a believer, a Christian, one who is blood bought, washed in the blood of Jesus, filled with the Holy Ghost, and anything and everything else you are comes way after that. Amen? So to be complete in him is to not look to anything or anyone else to provide you with your identity. It is to look to Jesus and say, my identity is in him and what he is and who he is in me. So that's what we've been talking about. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we got into something from the book of John chapter five, and I want you to turn back there with me. John chapter five, and this is something I've not been able to let go of. This has been the topic of conversation around our house. Sarah and I have talked and preached to each other about this for days and weeks on end now. And I want to get back to it. If you think back with me on Resurrection Sunday, that was a couple of weeks ago. We dealt with some of these things and how we identify. But the Lord said something to me in preparation for that Sunday that I forgot to mention to you. But he said to me, and it reminded me of what the Bible said in the book of John chapter 3 after Jesus had turned the water into wine. The Bible said that that was the beginning of miracles. And as I was getting ready for that Resurrection Sunday, I felt like that's what the Spirit of God was saying to me about us in this church on that day, that it was the beginning of miracles. And we talked quite a bit about not identifying as somebody who's weak, not identifying as somebody who's sick, but identifying because you identify as crucified with Jesus, buried with Jesus, risen again with Jesus, seated with Jesus in heavenly places. If those things are your identity, then you are not identifying as the weak. You are identifying as the strong, the ones getting stronger and stronger and stronger, not weaker, weaker, weaker. And you see some of that here in John chapter five. I want to read this to you again, but I'm going to read it to you from the King James Bible. Normally I read from the new King James but I want you to hear this from the King James translation. And there's one word that keeps showing up verse after verse. And I want you to pay attention and see if you can find it. John chapter five, beginning in verse two, King James Bible. We'll put this on the screen. It says, now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market, a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue, Bethesda, having five porches in these lay a great multitude of impotent, or that means weak or sick people, blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole, was made what? Whole was made whole of whatever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity, a weakness, a sickness, 30 and eight years. 38 years this man's been weak. When Jesus, verse six, saw him, he knew he had been now a long time in that case. He said to him, wilt thou be made what? Whole. Do you want to be made whole? whole. What are we talking about? What are we? We are complete in him. Do you want to be made whole? The impotent man answered him, sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I'm coming another steps down before me, Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was, say it with me, made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Verse 10, the Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, it's the Sabbath day. It's not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered them and said, he that made me whole, the same said to me, take up thy bed and walk. They asked him then, what man is this that said to you, take up your bed and walk? And he that was healed wist not. He didn't know who it was for Jesus had conveyed himself away. He'd walked away. A multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus finding him in the temple said to him, behold, look, thou art made whole. Sin no more lest a worse thing come unto you. Verse 15, the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had, say it with me church, made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus, sought to slay him, 
because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. Did you notice what kept coming up verse after verse? I know we're talking about the healing of, a, of an individual, but notice the word that the scripture uses to talk about what it means to be healed. He said the man was made whole. Every time the angel would come and trouble the water, the first one into the water would be made whole. Does that sound like something else we've been talking about? To be whole is to be complete. Means that nothing, listen to me, nothing is missing. There's not a missing piece. There's not a missing chunk out of you somewhere. You're complete. You've been made whole. That angel comes, troubles the water, first one in, made whole. Jesus sees a man who's been sick, finds out, we, we find out he's been this way 38 years, and Jesus says to him, do you want to be made complete? Do you want to be made whole? Now, I'm going to take just a minute and talk about this because, again, we mentioned it before, but this is an interesting question, and it almost sounds like a rhetorical question, like why even ask the man? And we know that Jesus is operating here with, with some form of a, a word of knowledge. He can see that this man's been in this case. He's been this way a long time. And if Jesus is going to do whatever Jesus wants to do, then why doesn't he just go up to him, skip the whole formality of what do you want, and just say to him, rise, take up your mat and walk. But there's not one wasted word out of the mouth of Jesus. So when he came to him, he asked him this question. Do you want to be made, say it again, whole? Do you want to be complete? Now that ought to tell you right there what sickness is. What is sickness? It's really not what sickness is. It's not what, what's present. It's not the disease that's present. It's the strength that's absent. Listen to me now. It's not, it's not the symptom that's present. It's the strength that's missing to fight it off. So when, when Jesus said, do you want to be made whole? He's identifying, you're missing something, man. You are in a bad way because you are not complete. And that's what sickness is. It's an incompleteness. There is strength that you are lacking to fight that. There is something on the inside that you need that you don't have to fight this trash off. And so Jesus comes to him and says, do you want to be complete? I notice you're missing something. I see you are incomplete. Do you want to be complete? Wilt thou, he said in the King James, be made whole? The uh, New King James, how did he say it to him in verse six? Do you want to be made well? Listen to it from the Amplified, the classic Bible. It says, when Jesus noticed him lying there helpless, Knowing that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, listen, do you want to become well? Now look at what the Amplified adds. Are you really in earnest about getting well? Are you really in earnest about getting well? What does in earnest mean? Look it up. It literally means this, serious. What's Jesus saying? It's not just a, a question of whether or not the guy wants to, Jesus is trying to get to the bottom of it here. Are you serious? Do you want to be made well? Are you serious about being made well? Doesn't that seem like a strange question? And yet Jesus is asking it. Are you serious? Are you serious about being made well? Are you serious about being whole? Are you serious about being complete? If Jesus asked it that day, do you think he would ask it today? Do you think Jesus would ask anybody in this room or anybody watching online right now? Would, any, would Jesus ask any of us, do you want to be made well? And we said, well, yeah, Jesus, we do. And he says, no, no, no. Are you serious about it? Are you serious about being made well? And again, notice the guy's response in verse 7, which still... Weeks after preaching this to you for the first time, it's still making me laugh because it should have been the shortest verse in the Bible. Do you want to be made well? Verse seven. Yeah. That should have been it. Right. But instead, what does he say? Verse seven. The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man. I don't have anybody. 
I don't have anybody to put me into the pool when the water's stirred up. For while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Somebody else's fault that he's not well. It's somebody else's fault that he's not whole. It's somebody else's fault that he's not complete. That was not the question. The question wasn't, why aren't you well? The question was, do you want to be? And are you serious about being well? And I want you to notice the human nature, the nature of the flesh, to almost instinctively go into blaming other people for your incompleteness. Blaming other people for why you're not whole, for why you're not well, for why you're not healed. And what was Jesus' question? Are you, are you ready to get serious? Are you ready to get serious about being well, about being whole, about living complete? And if Jesus is asking us this, that question this morning, which is different, by the way, than him asking this guy, this man has no idea who this is. When Jesus came and said, do you want to be made well? This guy had no idea that this man was the, the fullness of the Godhead bodily and that the power dwelt within him and that the willingness to heal was present. All he knows is some guy's asking him a question. He doesn't know who Jesus is. What's your excuse? What's my excuse? Do you know who Jesus is? If you don't, there's a room full of four and five-year-olds down at the end of the hall who would be happy to tell you who he is. I know who he is. And when he says to me and when he says to you, do you want to be made well? Are you serious about being complete and whole? There is no misunderstanding. I know who I'm looking at. I know who's talking to me. It's the one with the power to do it. It's the one with the willingness to do it. So when he says to you, are you serious about being made well? If the answer is yes, then step one has got to be stop blaming other people. Stop blaming other people for you not being whole, for you not being complete, for you and I not being made well. You want to get serious about being well? Let's stop blaming other people. Now, again, I want to remind you this, that the Bible gave us this detail about this guy's life. He's been in this condition. How long? 38 years. 38 years. Now, if you keep reading about this man, they, the, the Pharisees, they're trying to get to the bottom of what happened and they go talk to his parents and, and, and say, who did this to him? Who made this man walk on the Sabbath? And they said, ask him. And one of the details they brought out was he's over 40 years old. He's over 40. Now we don't know how much over 40, but I think it would be easy and safe to say that this man has been in this condition most of his life. 38 years out of his 40 plus. He's been weak. 38 years, he's been incapacitated. 38 years, he's been a cripple. 38 years, he's had to beg other people. 38 years, he has seen himself this way. And when something has been a part of your life for that long, watch out because it becomes part of the identity. When you've been dealing with something for that long, it becomes part of your identity. How do you know when a sickness or a disease or a weakness has become part of your identity? It is when that thing spills over into every other area of your life. It's when, it's when every relationship you have is viewed through the lens of that weakness. It's when financially your whole life is built around that weakness. When that weakness, whether it's physical, whether it's mental or emotional, in your soul, or in your body, when that thing becomes so pervasive and spills over and affects every area of your life, relationally, financially, spiritually, you know that it has become part of your identity. And if that is part of your identity, if you identify in what you don't have, you are not complete. You are missing pieces. You are missing big chunks of life and who you are. And I guarantee you this, 
after 38 years of dealing with this thing, it's this man's identity. It's who he is. And he's not the only one. You see in other places throughout scripture, people whose sickness and their weakness has affected every other part of their lives. I'm thinking about Mark chapter, is it two, I think, where it talks about the man who was paralyzed. He was born by four, the man born by four, the man who was carried by his four friends. Do you remember what happened that day? Jesus was in the house preaching. And I don't know, but maybe word started traveling around town that the healer is here. So here's this man that's been paralyzed for we don't know how long and who is dependent on these four guys to get him anywhere he needs to go. He cannot get himself there. Do you see how a sickness, his personal physical weakness is now spilling over into relationships? So dependent on these other guys. And as much as maybe they love him, they got their own lives to live. Come on, help me out church. These guys, they may love him, but this is not convenient. This is not helping them. His weakness and what he now identifies with spills over into relationships, which is why in my mind, when these four guys heard that Jesus was in town, they were like, bro, you going. Now we have no indicator that he wanted to go. We have no indicator that he wanted to do anything other than lay on the couch and let them bring him sandwiches and let them take care of his needs. Hey, hey, so glad you're home. Um, I'm thirsty. Could I, could I trouble you for a, a glass of water? I would get it, but you know. No, brother. No, man. Just, of course. Love you. I'm happy to do it. How long has this gone on? I don't know. So when Jesus is in town, the four dudes look at each other and like, you thinking what I'm thinking? <laughs> Absolutely. They pick that guy up, haul him to wherever Jesus is. But you remember what happened? They get there and there's no room. You can't even get in the door. It's so packed. So the guy on the mat's like, oh, maybe we should just go home. Maybe we'll go home. I'm sure he'll be to town again sometime soon. And the guys are like, no. Uh-uh. And they're looking around, can't get in there. And finally, one guy spots this staircase going up the side of the house to the roof and looks over at his friend and they give each other this look like, I'm going up. So the two of them run up the stairs. The other two are dragging that guy up the stairs. Why? Because you're walking home today, son. I love you. You know, I'm your friend. I'm here to help, but I'm done. Do you see what I'm saying to you, though? When somebody's weakness spills over and it's not just a physical thing anymore. Now it's a relational problem. And you know what happened? Those guys tore a hole in that roof. These guys are not afraid of going to jail for the night. They're not afraid of having to pay for repairs. All they know is Bubba is walking home today and they let him down. I'd have to study this to be sure, but I think in the Greek, let means dropped. I don't know that for sure. Don't quote me on that. But I want you to notice, remember what the Bible said, Jesus saw their faith. He saw faith. He saw their faith. And I don't know if there includes the brother laying on the mat or not, but he saw faith. How do you see faith? It just tore a hole in the roof. What did that? Faith did that. Faith tore a hole in the roof. And remember what happened? He told that man, get up and walk. Get up and walk. You see, even in the ministry of the disciples and the apostles, Peter and John, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, were going into the temple to pray. And there was a man who had been laid there who was lame from his mother's womb. That's all your life long. And you know what you find out about him when you keep reading? He's over 40 years old. This is his whole life. When you're born this way and you've lived 40 years this way, it's your identity. And the Bible tells us two other things besides the fact that he's lame. So there's the physical weakness. It also tells us that he's carried there daily. Somebody or a group of somebody's has made it there part of their daily routine 
to go get this guy. And perhaps they love him and, you know, are willing to do it. But I want you to recognize this, that burden, that physical weakness, that burden and that yoke is spilling out over and it's no longer just a physical thing. Now it's a relational thing. And this burden that he has is now a burden that other people are carrying. And not only that, but the Bible tells us he sits at that gate every day begging for alms. So this is not just a physical weakness. It's not just a relational burden now. What else is it? It's financial. This is a financial burden. When the weakness spills over into every other area of your life, it's your identity. And when it's constantly coming out of your mouth, constantly talking about what somebody's done, how somebody's hurt you, do you want to be made well? The answer is yes. But if what's coming out of your mouth is why you can't and it's because of somebody else, because of what they've done or they haven't done for you, you're not serious about being well. That's your identity and you like it and you want to stay that way. But somebody who's serious about getting well, somebody who's serious about being whole begins right here. I'm not looking to anybody else. I'm not blaming anybody else for why I'm sick or weak or hurt. And I'm not looking to anybody else for my healing or my wholeness. I'll tell you one of the really twisted things about this. And you see it often. I realize people get hurt. I realize people have hurts in life. And so much of it comes from the hands of other people or the words of other people. I, I'm not denying that. I know that it happens. But the really twisted thing about it is that people who constantly blame another person for their hurt are also looking to that same person to heal them. How's that going to work? You hurt me, now heal me. Uh, is it just me? Is that weird? That's weird, right? It's so twisted. It's so demonic. And I realize people have been hurt. I realize people have been hurt by family. I realize people have been hurt by other individuals in their lives, even by religious people or, or, or so-called spiritual people. I know that it happens. But if you are serious about your identity in Christ, if you are serious about living complete, about being whole, about being made well, you will stop blaming somebody else and stop expecting them to heal you. Am I being too rough? Is this what Jesus said? Are you serious? Are you really serious about being well? First thing you'll do if you're serious is stop blaming. But notice what else Jesus said to him. Rise, take up your mat, and walk. If you're serious about being whole, about being complete, you'll stop blaming other people, and you'll get up. You'll get up. You will rise up. And, not, and, and refuse to be beat down anymore and refuse to be on the ground any longer and refuse to be identified as low and, and defeated and you will get up. And then what else will you do? You'll walk. You'll walk. As you have received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. And that's exactly what this guy did. You'd have to kind of dig and look closely, maybe with a magnifying glass to find faith out of this guy. But there it is right there. Jesus told him to get up and take up his mat and walk. And he did it. That took faith. That took faith. But here's what I want you to see in chapter seven. This is on the heels of what just happened in chapter seven, verse 23, John seven, 23, the, the religious people are are fighting with Jesus because this miracle took place on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to them in the last part of this verse, are you angry with me? He said, are you angry at me? Look at it in the King James. Can we put that up there? I want you to see this. Are you angry at me? Because I've made a man. Now listen to this, this phrase, every wit whole. 
are you angry with me because I made a man every whit whole? Has anybody used this expression in the last hundred years? <laughs> every whit, every whit. What does this mean? Every whit. Well, one translation, the new King James says it like this. Are you angry with me because I made a man? Are you, are you looking? Yes. Completely well. Every wit whole means completely well. This phrase, every wit, in the Greek language, it means whole in extent, amount, time, or degree. Now, if you were to just look this up in the old Webster's Dictionary, wit means the smallest part or particle imaginable. The smallest part, the smallest particle that you can imagine. And Jesus said, are you angry with me? Because I made this man whole down to the smallest part, down to the smallest particle. Help me say this, Lord. I think what Jesus did for that man went so far beyond physical. Why do I think that? Because Jesus said he didn't just make him whole physically. He made him every whit whole. Down to the smallest part. Down to the smallest particle. In other words, our healing, our completeness, when there's something physically weak, something physically missing, our God's so good and our Jesus is so good that when he heals you, he doesn't just heal that physical thing. He heals every other part of your life that it's spilled over into. He made this man every whit whole. Now I imagine when he said, rise, take up your mat and walk and the power of God hit that man's body and he got up for the first time in 38 years and he began to walk for the first time in 38 years. I guarantee you this, the thing that's going over and over and over in his mind is I can walk, I can walk, I can walk, I can walk, I can walk. And what he doesn't realize though is that, yeah, and now your relationships are being healed. And now everything that you've lacked financially and everything that you've lacked emotionally in every other area of your life because of this mess, now that this is taken care of, you can be healed in every area. You can be complete. You can be whole in every area of your life. Glory to God. I don't know if the man at the gate, a beautiful, realized that. In the name of Jesus, Peter said, rise and walk. And he went walking, leaping, praising God. What's he saying? I can walk, I can walk, I can walk. And what probably hit him, I don't know, sometime later is, I'm not a beggar. I'm not a beggar anymore. I'm not a beggar anymore. And when whoever's turn it was to carry him to the temple the next day came knocking on the front door and this guy came walking to the door, opened it up. What was the response then like? Brother, I love you, but what can I do to bless you? I don't need your strength to carry me anymore. What happened? I've been made whole. I'm complete. I'm complete. The Bible says in the book of 1 Thessalonians, let me put this on the screen for you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, Now may the God of peace, somebody say peace. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. The King James Bible says wholly, not H-O-L-Y, W-H-O-L-L-Y, wholly. May the God of peace sanctify you completely, wholly. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body, or you could say your whole spirit, your whole soul, your whole body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what God has done in us spiritually by raising us from the dead with Jesus, 
it wasn't just supposed to live in a spiritual realm. When he changed your identity in the realm, in the world of the spirit, what took place in you there is supposed to now overflow. Didn't Jesus say, I came that you'd have life and have it how? More abundantly. That means overflow, overflow, overflow. Into what? Out of the spirit, overflow into the soul. Out of the soul, into the body. May the God of peace, he said, sanctify you completely, wholly. And may your whole spirit and your whole soul and your whole body be preserved. This is our identity. Your identity is whatever affects every area of your life. If your identity is wrapped up in the family you were born into, then everything in your life, you see it through that. You see every relationship through that. You see uh, your financial situation through that. How do people see their financial situation through their family? Well, if they're born into a family that's got money and they ain't got none, then they go to the family, right? They call mom, they call dad, they call papa. We've talked about this before. If your identity is wrapped up in your nationality, if it's wrapped up in your political stances, then everything in your life is affected by that. You see everything, every relationship through that. Every word coming out of your mouth is filtered through that. And this is so relevant to who and where we are right now in this world where it just seems like the political drama is ratcheted up way past 10 and everybody online, everybody on Facebook is a political expert. And they all want to tell you what they think and what they know and, and what it should be and who should do what. And, and it's almost as though people have forgotten that who they are in Jesus comes way before any of that stuff. Who you are in Jesus is more important than who you are as a member of your family. Who you are in Jesus is way more important than who you are as a citizen of this country or any other. Thank you, Lord. Look at Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, um, you see where Jesus, he had gotten in the boat, he'd gone to the other side, and he was met there by a man possessed with demons. Talk about an identity crisis, my gosh. But this man gets set free. He gets set in his right mind. Jesus comes back to the other side. He crossed over again, verse 21, by boat to the other side. A great multitude gathered to him. He was by the sea. Behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. When he saw him, he fell at his feet. Verse 23, begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. That word translated healed is the exact same word translated whole. Lay your hands on her, she'll be whole. It's also, I believe, the word translated saved. Do you know the word that we use to talk about our salvation? When you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you are saved, that word sozo is the exact same word translated healed. And it's the exact same word translated whole. So when you say, I'm saved, what you're actually saying is, I'm complete. We use it as a term, as some sort of identification, and that's fine. You know, are you saved? Oh, he's saved. 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 Oh, you mean he's complete? Well, why was that important? Because nobody else is. Anybody outside of Jesus? You would say they're not saved? Well, what else could you say? Incomplete. They're missing something. And Jairus is asking Jesus to come lay his hands on his daughter because she's missing some strength. She's missing some life. And he says, when you lay your hands on her, she'll be healed. She'll be whole. Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman had a flow of blood for how long? 12 years. Here is another sickness, weakness that's been in somebody's life for so long that it becomes their identity. And not only, gosh, how do you even say this? I know it's her identity because of all the ceremonial laws attached 
to her condition. This is not just a weakness that she has to put up with. There are literally laws that prohibit her, check this out, from being around people, from being in society, for being a member of a community. So this physical weakness is now affecting what? Relationships. It's affecting friendships, relationships in the home, outside the home. And when it's in your life for over a decade and you deal with this thing day in, day out, and every day it's in front of you and every day you face it, the greatest temptation anybody like that will ever face is to try to somehow see themselves as not sick, as not weak. And when you deal with this stuff, day after day, year after year, it becomes such a part of your identity. And now it's affecting other parts of her life. 12 years. It says though, verse 25, a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians, suffered many things from many physicians. For 12 years, doctors have been trying stuff. For 12 years, they've been experimenting on her. For 12 years, doctors have been saying, well, we're not quite sure, let's try this and let's try that. And you don't got to go back, but what, a hundred years or so. And some things that were common medical practice in our own country, you and I would step back and go, they did what to who? The stuff they put people through and the, the chemicals they put in them. I can only imagine what they were trying 2000 years ago, experimenting on her like a rat in a lab. She suffered many things from many physicians. Notice this now. Spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. So now this physical thing that became a relational burden has turned into what? A financial burden. Spent everything she had. And at the end of the day was no better, but worse. But I love it. You ready for this? Verse 27. When she heard about Jesus. Help me out, church. How does faith come? By hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Study that verse for yourself in Romans. But it literally means hearing the anointed word from the lips of the Messiah. How does faith come? It comes when you hear who Jesus is. Faith comes when you hear what Jesus has done for you. Faith comes when you find out what Jesus wants to do for you. Faith comes when you find out who you are in him and who he is in you. Faith comes. And the, she's not reading verses. She doesn't have a New Testament. She's, she can't quote 1 Peter 2.24. She doesn't even know that there is a 1 Peter. And if there's a first one, does that mean there's a second one? She doesn't know any of this stuff. This is not a Bible scholar. All she knows is what? Jesus is here. Jesus is here. So I don't know if she shut up in her house, but Jesus comes to town and the noise begins to spread and people everywhere are talking about the healers here, the healers here, the healers here, the healers here. And she hears about it. That's all we know she heard. But there was enough faith that came so that she, when she heard, she came behind him in the crowd, touched his garment, for she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. You know what the King James says? I shall be made. If I can get a hold of him, I'll be complete. If I can just touch, check this out. If I can touch his completeness, I can be complete. My completeness comes when I lay hold of his completeness. My wholeness comes as I touch his entirety, his wholeness. Are you following me? And she said this. She said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. 
Verse 29, immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? He looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her in verse 34, listen to it from the King James Bible. He said to her, daughter, your faith has done what? What does faith have the power to do? Listen, come on, you got to catch this today. What does faith do? I know we talk faith and we're people of faith and we shout faith, but what's it do? What's it for? What does faith do? Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you whole, complete. Your faith has made thee whole. Go in peace, he said, and be whole of thy plague. Two times in one verse, what's he say to her? Your faith has made you whole. Go in peace and be whole. I thought she was. Two different words. He said, your faith has healed you. Your faith has saved you. Now go in peace and be complete. Complete. Uh, what, what? She's healed. That's what she came for, right? Healed physically. That, that issue she had, it stopped. It, she felt it in her body. She's healed. She had no idea. The man at the pool of Bethesda had no idea. The man at the gate beautiful had no idea that what Jesus had done for them not only healed them physically, but made them every whit whole down to the smallest part, the smallest imaginable particle. What's happening? What she doesn't know is everything she lost relationally is right now being restored to her. Everything she lost financially is right now being restored to her. This is completeness. This is wholeness. How do I know that? Because Jesus said to her, go in peace. Peace. You want to know what the word peace means? Shalom. It literally means nothing missing. Nothing broken. That would be a wonderful thing if you were sick for 12 years and then you weren't sick anymore. That would be plenty to be thankful for, right? But he said, go in peace with nothing missing, with nothing broken. In every way that this sickness and weakness has tried to become your identity, Jesus, the healer, is changing it. If it has affected you relationally, go in peace. If it has affected you physically, go in peace and be whole, be complete. Guys, go ahead. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah, and I'll give you this last verse. In Isaiah chapter 26, verse three, it says, you will keep him. Are you ready for this? In perfect peace. Have you heard anything about the word perfect in the last eight or nine weeks or so? This is what we're building our hope on this year, that the God of all grace is working in us, perfecting us. And he said in that verse that you will keep him in perfect peace, complete peace. Him whose mind is stayed on you. You will keep him in perfect peace, complete peace, whole peace. So that tells me there's a difference. There's different kinds of peace. There's perfect peace and there's imperfect, partial peace. And Jesus even identified this just moments before the cross when he told his disciples, I'm leaving, but my peace, I'll leave with you. And my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Oh, it's a different kind of peace. It's a perfect peace. It is peace in every area of your life. 
We so often think of peace as that inner tranquility, peace of heart, not, not agitated on the inside. And that's good. That's right. But remember what first Thessalonians said, may the God of all peace sanctify you wholly, completely spirit, soul, and body. What is perfect peace? It's peace physically. Well, it starts as peace spiritually. And it overflows as peace in your heart, peace in your mind. Perfect peace is not laying in bed awake for hours on end, worried about finances, worried about relationships, worried about the job, worried about the kids. This is, this is, you're missing something. You hear me? You're missing something. What is it you're missing? Peace, wholeness, completeness. And Jesus has said to us, my peace I give to you, not like the world gives. What kind of peace does the world give? You can have peace if you have this or if you have that. You can have peace, but not if you're missing this, not if you're missing that. You can have peace if you had a little more money. You can have peace if you had a little better place to live. You can have peace if you had a little nicer something to drive. You can have peace if you had, if you had more people acknowledging you and applauding you and approving of you. You could have peace then. This is not perfect peace. Perfect peace is peace right now. Spirit, soul, and body. And he said, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. So evidently, if you're missing peace, it's because your mind's wandering. It's because you've let your mind wander to something off of him, right? And I know it's easy to do. But this is what we've got the Holy Spirit in us for, to bring our mind into subjection. Your mind is your mind. You can think on what you choose to think on. Your mind doesn't have to be driven around. You don't have to be tossed up and down, back and forth like the waves of the sea. You can be constant. You can be consistent. And with your mind stayed on him, you can live in not just peace, perfect peace. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY and any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.